Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. Uh, <clears throat> What's wrong with my, my voice? What? <laughs> my voice. I'm out of practice. We haven't recorded in a yeah, while. Yeah, we missed a week. Because uh, mm. it's it's hard. It is hard, but you were you've been traveling, and you're you're um, you're you're you were in Japan, and you're about to you're in New York now, and you're about to go to Europe. Yeah, I'm here for two days, and then I I fly tomorrow. That's a lot of uh, plane travel. And it's funny. It's a, it's a really weird jet lag. So I get here, and then yesterday I fell asleep at four in the afternoon. But I, I was like, I'm not going to try to change my jet lag because it kind of matches the Netherlands. In a, it's almost like you you flip a whole day. Yeah. Mm. The, the, but you're also you're a, you're a person of routines, as I understand it. So, uh, yeah, I think so. But the um, it's funny how the time difference with with Europe and the U.S. and North America it, it's very understandable. So you're like, okay, it's kind of late here, so it's too late for the. But the one the one in Japan, it really feels like you're on another planet. Also, in the sense that. You get your social media, and I was always fascinated with why don't why don't we know more about internet art from different cultures? Like, we don't know much about Asian internet art, and mm-hmm. even behind the Great Firewall and all the. But there's also these simple time barrier differences, time zone differences, where if I post something from Japan, mm-hmm. it's either night or it's evening or it's morning, and it, it's all confusing. It, and so things are less visible. Mm. To your core, like North American audience. Yeah, but I, I mean, it, it, there's always people asking me, "Oh, uh, are there interesting digital artists in Japan?" And those are some of the barriers. And there's the language barrier, and there's the cultural mm-hmm. barrier, and but the time zone is a big thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm trying to think of. I know Daito Manabe was one Japanese artist that I did shows with for a long, kind of a few times back in the day, mm-hmm. and he was. I remember meeting him one time. Do you know this guy? He did like he does all these like crazy collaborations with Nike and stuff now. But starting out, he got like famous on YouTube for doing uh, performances where like he would use these sensors to like change his face. Like his face would kind of like glitch and stuff to okay. music, like by using these muscle. Oh, anyway. okay, yeah, 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 yeah. But I, one time I talked to him. He didn't speak uh, English very well. But I was like, I had a small show in New York, like. <laughs> something at like mm-hmm. I feel like it was but he, the, he spoke English better than you spoke Japanese oh yeah yeah very very yeah way yeah. obviously I speak that, zero cause, Japanese because that's always a funny thing where people from other countries feel bad that they don't speak English that well but they speak way more than we speak Spanish or Chinese or r- oh, Russian yeah, I, or whatever yeah I feel incredibly guilty when I'm in Europe because but not guilty you know, enough to learn the language <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm starting to. I'm kind of. I feel like I'm picking. <laughs> I speak I, French. So I at least I speak. Th- that's language. true. But this comedian is talking about like, do you ever walk down the street and see a beautiful woman and and you think I would do anything to be with her, mm. but then, would you really? Would you work out every day and get a good job and have a cleaned up apartment? No, I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, in th- in this case, uh, what was interesting is like. The show, it was like a show at the Y or something, you know, the downtown Y in New York or whatever. The YMCA? Yeah, the YMCA. And in like the gym? Actually, or maybe, maybe it wasn't the YMCA. It was like, <laughs> it was like, yeah, I feel like there's like a theater, isn't there like a theater that's associated with the YMCA? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Anyway, um, he had come from Japan just for this one evening of screenings. And I was like, what are you doing? But it, he was like, it's New York. You have to come to New York. And so I think there are, 
uh, exceptions were trapped. Well, that's know, kind of true. The, 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 yeah. This is someone told me that New York is kind of the attention center of the world. I don't know if that's still true, but it, it seems that the Netherlands and maybe Canada as well are very obsessed with the U.S. And so, for example, weather in New York is kind of world news, but not the other mm -hmm. way around. Like if there's a snowstorm in the Netherlands, you wouldn't know about it. <laughs> It, does it have? It's probably. But, are there snowstorms there? No, but the the, the snowstorms here. Um, whenever they're on the news, my parents call me. He's like, "Are you okay?" Because it's always exaggerated in the news. <laughs> right. right. Uh, but things in New York uh, get more attention. Right. It's like same thing with uh, you know any kind of. Uh, I don't want to make this political. This is a super political. But terrorist attack in London is going to have way more press than a terrorist attack in Syria or something. Like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so let's <laughs> transition. Uh, yeah, to but I just want to say I had a really great time in Japan. So did you? Uh, yeah. And you had a show there with was uh, your sort of your uh, textile mm -hmm. uh, abstract browsing yeah. pieces. I love those. Yeah. yeah, and then I just uh, we went to Yakushima, an island in the south, and stayed in a traditional uh, Japanese ryokan and uh, ate a lot of fish and. Mm natural hot springs and forests and everything it was wonderful looked beautiful yeah um, no what i wanted to say is that new york has this uh, attraction to the whole world of like oh that's the place to be mm. but i think because of that then they're lazy with all the other things that a city should do they're like well we're new york we don't have to blah and then you go to other cities they're like wow a city can actually operate wow that's amazing like we don't need proper public transportation. Yeah, or we don't need, or, or we don't need public parks. Or <laughs> we have Central Park. We're 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 gonna honk all the time on the cars, even if it doesn't get anywhere. It's <laughs> <laughs> just gonna honk everywhere. Like, yeah. Okay. And then you're yeah. in another city. It's like, oh, cars can be smaller. Uh, trains can run on time. Uh, things can be clean. <laughs> trash can be picked up. Oh, this is not bad. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Mm. Yeah, having just spent six weeks in Europe, it w it's always fun to get back, even to Toronto, and it's like... Yeah, oh, how is Toronto with infrastructure? I mean, it's pretty good, except the roads are like, you know, it might as well be, like, I don't know, post-war kind of Do you have a lot of like potholes in the... <laughs> yeah, I think it's because of the freeze-thaw, freeze-thaw. I mean, but I sound like my father complaining about the road quality and stuff. Yeah. I mean, one thing you notice immediately is, like, I just got back, I was uh, from Frankfurt, I was in Oslo before that, but it's like... I think we talked about this before, like the scale of the cities in North America is just on another level. Not, yeah, but I was in Tokyo and, and the, Tokyo is a very sprawling city and the entire city, I think, is 34 million. So mm. that's a lot more than New York. And uh, Oh, no. Yeah, I know. So I think it's but they still yeah, but managed to have excellent infrastructure. And yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, yeah, I, and I was just thinking also like the height. Like you're immediately struck by like when you're flying over. When I fly was flying home, I was like, oh yeah, like there's like a lot. Uh, you know, it, there's at least a, you know it's just a lot of volume, like yeah, towers. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's it's not quiet. <laughs> <laughs> immediately notice. Anyway, yeah. it's nice to be back. Uh, yeah. Super. Yeah. How super, was your uh, residency period? It was great, and then I was doing a festival in Frankfurt and. That was interesting, uh, and, and actually is a good segue maybe into what I thought we could talk about today. Mm -hmm. uh, but in Frankfurt, I was presenting some work that, you know, you wouldn't traditionally identify as art. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, I'm doing all the advice you've given me, Raphael, I realized I've like 
than the exact opposite. Like yeah, and it might make you a lot happier because this this is a tormented idea of the artist having to come up with things on their own, and maybe that's an mm. antiquated idea. I think it's just that I've uh, anything anytime anyone gives me advice, I stupidly uh, reject it just out of like. Well, <laughs> is that true, or are you just very selective? Uh, I mean, I'm so I'll tell you what I get bored very easily. So I'm interested in new ideas, and the and the concept in this case was that we are going to take over the infrastructure of some of this festival as an artwork. Now, the the funny uh, thing, and I think it'll get us to our segue, is that you know the we like took over the info desk, for example, at this festival, and we we designed that as an artwork. But then what ended up happening was like people just treated us like an info desk, <laughs> <laughs> and the staff like you know, put their garbage everywhere. <laughs> it was just difficult to, to clean up after that. I ended up managing like volunteer staff. And it was like, I was working as a manager for the last week. And, <laughs> and I was like, it's the, an artwork. The true Jeremy comes out. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Is, is there, uh, historically, are there, the, the topic of management, has that been addressed a lot in art history? I don't know. And I was telling Kristen last night, I was like, I think I'm just like, my 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 final artworks are all just going to be management because that's, yeah. I was like, I see there's but so much room for improvement it's, there. It's interesting because in the 60s, you had this uh, movement towards more ephemeral art, not so much solid art objects, but happenings and performance and yeah. uh, concrete poetry. And then maybe now the, the sort of, gentrified version of that is management as artworks which is also very invisible but uh, I mean when I think about management as art I think about Jeff Koons but he's not directly addressing the topic of management he's just managing a lot of people but Mm -hmm. but I think yeah I'm trying to think of examples where someone manages things and that is the work yeah, so I don't know. It's something that I'm I, I'm leaning into, and it's not. I don't think it's going to pay dividends. <laughs> well, like we, I think we spoke about it in one episode how yeah. management. Everybody thinks of the, like the word middle management, middle middle manager, and kind of useless, and they just invent their own profession and then pay themselves a lot. Like that's that's the stigma of managers. But at the same time, that has been the productivity revolution of the last forty years. Yeah, yeah, but it, you know, it gets me to my point, which is like you know, uh, or the beginning of our good, our episode, which is that um, you know, because this work wasn't recognized as art, it was sort of treated differently. I, I found that interesting; it was kind of invisible. But the way art is normally made visible, because I, I was talking to Kristen about, it and she's like, "Yeah, well, of course they didn't. You know, they didn't think of it that way because you know, you're you're working within this relational aesthetic or that kind of." arrangement uh and normally what you have in a gallery like the 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 white cube or uh the museum is you have like not only the frame of the gallery and like the pretension of the whole thing but you also have like the frame on the wall and you have the plinth but also Um, this environment was not a very clear art environment it wasn't a gallery no it was like an old factory um yeah like and it was a festival so it's chaotic like if you had done the same thing but in the middle of white cube gallery in london Mm -hmm. it would have been more clear that's what yeah that's what i kept thinking though to myself but i thought that was interesting that you know this thing transposed in a factory versus in a gallery like what are the, the what are the parameters by which we call something art um and then it also struck me that there were some you know, it's a digital, it was a digital uh, kind of art festival. And so 
you know, there was there were all kinds of these incursions throughout, you know, like projections here and screens hanging there. And then there was a company that was involved with the the festival called Framed and they were showing Are they from digital, Japan? Uh, no, I think Framed is European American. Because there's another one called European. Frame and then an asterisk or something, and I think they're Japanese. Oh, really? I mean, I'm going to make sure I get this right. Yeah. <laughs> I like the sound of the keyboard. Yeah, we have some intuition uh, yeah. music. Yeah, so it's, fra- it, yeah. it's framed with an asterisk, <laughs> and uh, it's a revolutionary platform for digital art, according to their, their Kickstarter page. Uh, but... Yeah. So it is this Japanese, it's partly Japanese company, because I went to their showroom once in Tokyo. What they told me is that they're based in, in yeah, in uh, in Asia, I can't remember where. Yeah, I think that, they moved to Taiwan or something, that's right. they wanted that's to be right. closer to the factories. Yeah, closer to the factories, and that allows them, you know, an advantage of being able to make uh, things faster and better. Uh, at a lower cost. Um, so, should we tell our audience a little bit about this uh, big this category of art screens? Well, I just thought it would be interesting to talk about art screens because they take digital art, which existed on the internet and uh, you know in festivals and stuff, and it says like, okay, like we're going to take something from the white cube art world, from the institutional art world, and we're just going to plop it on digital art and see if that changes the the game or changes the equation. Mm-hmm. And I think that there, you know, there've been like, a, I think at least half a dozen, if not more digital art frame companies that have come into the market in the last five years. And I think they preceding that it was like, there were digital frames, but they were for like your keychain or your photos of your family. Yeah. That kind of, and, know, and, there's, and there's, there's photo frames that are not art related. They're just a device that you could show a slideshow of your family photos and you on your wall yeah but these frame companies were like let's elevate quote unquote like digital art let's make it available yeah and part of the idea is also everybody has a TV at home and it's turned off most of the time and why not show something interesting in the meantime right yeah so this company was there and they were pushing this development kit Um, and by the way I'm not like for against the most I spent like a half an hour talking to one of their founders uh, who's also one of the founders of this uh, journal that's pretty good called Hollow Magazine uh, for digital artists. So they're very supportive. He was telling me the difference between us and others is that we're super supportive of the artists and we help them uh, develop the new projects. We commission new works, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it, I was saying like, well, you know, you know, the best way you could help them is by paying them uh, a decent way, uh, commissioning fee. And the fees that these companies pay are typically quite low to get artists on the platform. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's interesting to break down the problem. So there's there's many different things. So, so for example, all the companies want to do both hardware and ecosystem. Well, they want like the plat. They want to own the platform. Yeah, but imagine that you bought a DVD player back when that was still relevant, and it would only play movies from that company. You, yeah, you wouldn't. Exactly. You wouldn't buy that DVD player. That wouldn't make any sense. It's funny you say sense. that because that was that was actually kind of true for DVDs. Because remember, there was a competition between two formats of DVD. Do you remember that? Blu-ray, Blu-ray. Well, well, that's when they went HD. But before DVD, you mean? Yeah, or, or there the, was like, the the battle between Blu-ray and DVD. No, but there was like well, in burners, there was negative R and plus R. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. RW. And, yeah. Well, uh, it, anyway, but but yeah. to simplify it, I mean, I guess this problem has has uh, existed even in the in the days of record companies, uh, 
Philips would have a record player that would would play a certain type of record, and uh, Polydor or Sire or whatever, uh, all the old companies would be both technology company and content company. And it kind of didn't, it kind of never, it always worked. I mean, the entropy is always towards some kind of open standard. I know we talk about that all the time on, on the podcast. Yeah. But um, yeah, all of these platforms, they have different standards, all these different digital frames. Yeah. So there's um, like on framed, you know, they have a, it's a full computer with a, a camera. So you can do like interactive stuff. Um, and on like, I don't know, like electric objects, which was a big one for a while. They just have a web browser, right? Yeah. Something like that. And then uh, yeah, I was reading I about think it. most of them kind of have a way that you could show any content, but they deeply encourage you to show it through their app store. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and sometimes they allow you to show older, like not new artworks, like not digital art. Like there's one I was reading about called Mural, and it's like you can have Matisse on your wall or whatever. And they've just mm-hmm. got like licenses to images. Yeah. Um, so there's like a, usually like a subscription plan based around each of them um uh, and uh, i don't i don't know yeah. the business the business model doesn't seem quite clear ultimately i've always asked myself like who is this for actually maybe that's a good place to start like why does this exist well it, it, for <laughs> example it for? i i know the the founder of electric objects and, and we should say that electric objects is in the news this week and that's one another reason we wanted to talk yeah. about this so electric objects was founded by uh, jake levine is that his last name i just know him as jake Mm-hmm. And um, he was working at different software companies the last... I think it was at Dig before. Yeah. So, and he always collected online art. He collected a lot of animated GIFs. And he was thinking, I just want a simple screen to show my collection of weird internet stuff. Uh, and he wasn't even calling it art. But then once you start making the product, you're like, okay, this is basically an animated GIF viewer, but it's not a photo frame for your family. So you don't want to... And we want people to make content specifically for the screen. And then you try to find a business model. And then, well, if we want people to make things for the screen, if they can just play it on any screen, we're not going to have a model. So maybe we should close it up a little bit. And then you start running into restrictions. And then the artists are not so motivated because, like, well, there's only a thousand of these screens and I want everyone in the world to see my work. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. You know what I, I don't get is like, so. Who's the customer though? Like, is it, it's him the art well, collector? Well, I, I think he started the company with the simple problem of like, I have this giant folder with amazing animated gifs, and what would mm-hmm. be a simple way to hang those on my wall? Right. And, and so, I, I do think there's a lot of people who share that sentiment of like, oh, I would love to have a a little screen that doesn't use so much power, and it's just in the background, and I can, if I reblog something on Tumblr, it'll just show up there. Yeah, but I mean. Is that true? Because uh, here's the thing. You, you know, you said earlier, like, your TV is off, right? Yeah. Like, you could you could theoretically have the TV on in everyone's home, mm-hmm. you know, and when it's... And it never turns off. And it and when it's on and not watching TV, it shows artwork. In fact, it was in Oslo, there was this big Subway advertising campaign for a new Samsung TV. And that was what they were advertising. They're like... The, it was really funny. It was like... It was like, art when it's off... TV when it's on, yeah, which I yeah, found yeah, like yeah, so yeah. hilarious in a way, right? Because it's like, <laughs> why choose? <Yeah. laughs> and so, uh, you know, there's, I don't, I don't really understand because, and people were hanging TVs, you know, on their walls. Remember when plasma screens first came out? 
and kind of treating it like uh, like, like a, a painting, a, a big thing, like a big painting. But now apparently, uh, you know, less than twenty five percent of people do that. There was like uh, like uh, one of the TV companies, LG or something, put a stat saying like no one's doing that anymore. The TV stand is back. Um, no one wants to hang it because you have to so put the wires behind the wall. So people have a media console and they just put the TV on that. But yeah, because the TV is part of an ecosystem ultimately of like other devices, and it's like why hanging the wires hanging down from the TV, you know, ends yeah, up being this waterfall yeah. of wires, and it's hideous. And so I think the you know I'm, I bring this up because one of the problems the problem is not I don't have a screen to show my work on in my opinion it's like I don't have a I don't have a frame like that is a screen that looks beautiful and solves some fundamental basic problems no, like solve the basics. First. I think also part of it is that uh, I've been making moving images for a long time and they function really well either when you're browsing or mm-hmm. in a museum. I think in a, in a museum space, you go there to look at things, but I think it's more difficult in a domestic situation, especially if your apartment is small. You you just don't want a screen on all the time. So well, yeah, I, I, mean, think, I think it works yeah. for a big collector with a home with uh, 20 rooms, and it's like, okay, I have a few video art rooms, mm-hmm. but that's not a market. That's very few people. I mean, you've been, I've been in like, I'll, I'll count them on my hands, like, I think one collector's home where they had a screen-based workup, and it was in the. I know front a door. few people. That I'm biased, of course, because I'm making those things. But uh, I think collectors, there's this collecting at the domestic level where you're like, well, what I want to put some nice stuff on my wall, and there's collecting mm-hmm. where you're almost building your own museum, and and when you're on That's that scale, you'll definitely have moving images. So great, we're back to the customer again. So the price point for these <laughs> these screens is usually under $500, right? So they're saying this is a screen so that everyone can have digital art yeah, in their homes. Yeah, At that price but I, point, I right? understand your point of people have a phone and a laptop and they won't even buy an iPad because they don't even use it enough. Like that, mm-hmm. that screen between the phone and the laptop is kind of... Yeah. And, and people our age don't even have TVs anymore. They just watch things on the laptop. <laughs> right. So yeah. to then pay 500 for an art screen, if you could also pay 500 for an iPad... That's hard to argue. And most people can't afford even those three. So, Or, you know, put a print on your wall that never needs to be plugged in and increases in value over time. You don't have to subscribe to the, the other, service for it. The other thing that's another impetus for uh, digital art, I met a finance expert who was really bothered by all the regulations in the financial industry after 2008. Mm-hmm which is changing a little bit now, but this was a few years ago. And he's like, well, I'm trading virtual currencies all the time, like uh, Bitcoin and and whatever, for a lot of money. And there's online art. So if we can make everything virtual and there's no regulation on the trading of art, we can make a lot of money. So that was, Mm. that was, that's kind of the business impetus, not the client impetus, but you're like, uh, is impetus even a word? Motivation. But, but (laughs) He just saw it like, okay, uh, people are buying paintings, but that's kind of old-fashioned. Why don't you just buy something digital and have like a nice large screen, and then we can do hyper-trading and algorithms trading art instead of this old-fashioned model with a crate and sending a a painting back and forth, which people don't even unpack, but they're just trading it for the value. Hmm. But I, I, I guess... I beg to differ because I've been in a lot of, you know, in collectors' homes where it's about having the collection visible in their home, including my own home and the collection that I have. 
And it's like, I want, we've talked about this before, I want to be surrounded by the things that, um, stories, and really we know this, collectors don't invest in artworks, they collect kind of artists, um, and I want to be surrounded by these artists uh, yeah, um, in my home. So it's almost and like a, a t-shirt after a concert. Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like hard, everyone wants their own hard rock cafe. <laughs> <laughs> But what I, I think, still coming back to that customer, that customer is usually very wealthy or wealthier that they that they think this is something they need above all of the basic necessities yeah, so we have to get ourselves out of the world yeah you need a car and then you need yeah. a vacation and once you can afford those things then maybe you buy art yeah like it's not like should i eat or buy digital art <laughs> like those, <laughs> those two things are not it's i i'm i'm i hope this doesn't sound insensitive to our audience but i think that like This is the fundamental problem these companies keep getting into. And the reason that they have to do this is because for them to get investment, they have to show that there's a large enough market. If they went into a room and pitched like a com- you know, a VC or venture capitalist or someone that was going to, or even a bank, and said, I have a great idea for a company. We're going to serve five people <laughs> in five different markets. Maybe once a year, they will buy a significant work from us. <laughs> But I can't promise you. They might change. Fashion might change, and we might be totally wrong about this, right? Yeah. No, no, no one in the right wide would give them no, money. It's it, like I think part of why there's so many of these startups is that a lot of people want to do something good, and so maybe they'll do something in education or medical, or mm. maybe something in art because it seems like a nice area to invest in into human expression, and instead of. Once again, like you don't want to invest in another LinkedIn and like it might make money, but it's just so boring. Or you don't want to invest in Uber. And then you're like, why don't I invest in something that brings joy? Mm-hmm. But I think if if you were going to serve the, yeah, that brings joy to who though? This again comes back to who. So if you, you were going to serve the classic art collector, you would probably make the screen, I would say minimum $10,000 just for the, the screen and the frame. Um, yeah, which doesn't make sense because hardware... Uh, is 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 um, no no no. But here's what you're selling. You're not selling the frame. You're selling the best experience on a screen that fits into your home that will update itself. Like maybe you make subscription revenue off of that, but it's like you never have to question the quality or aesthetics of your. You're basically selling the frame, is what I'm talking about, right? And that this so frame. So you're not selling hardware. Well, if we look at framing outside of. Yeah, you are selling hardware circumstances. For example, why are none of these frames 4K? Like, I just read about the first one. It's well, that's called, the problem. Uh, so if you invest depict. in it, it uh, I'm trying to come up with the word, but things expire so quickly, hardware expires so quickly. So it's... Uh, yeah, but it's a very... Especially image quality. Yeah, Yeah, but I feel like image quality, even in prints, like if we go to... Let's look at C prints as an example, right? It's like after 150 DPI, very few people notice like the quality of a print. And certainly after 300, no one notices, Right. And it's like so. Yeah, the, the but quali- co- color depth. And, you, yeah, you now notice. color. Okay, then color comes in. It's like, but the, once the chemical composition is right, very few people can tell. Uh, you know, the, no, you can feel it. I think. Y- y- yeah. Okay. What well, I'm just saying, like C print as an example, is like an accepted print standard, and it goes up to not even uh, like 600 DPI. If you really look at the art market monetarily, still painting is probably 95 percent of. Mm. Well, let's talk about painting then. Painting as a technical, uh, product produced, technically produced item is like infinite, <laughs> infinite color, right? Infinite uh, resolution, and an incredibly portable 
and never expires, right? So, yeah. you, I mean, remember we've talked about Clayton Christensen previously on this show, like about uh, innovators' dilemma, and really what Clayton Christensen always, always, I think this is great actually for these frame makers to consider is like whatever people are hiring, they need to fire the last thing that they were doing, mm. right? So. If they're going to use your solution, it means they have to not use another thing. They have to fire that solution You're to hire your solution. Something. Yeah, exactly. So when if if they're hiring your new digital art frame, they need to fire what we just but talked about in terms of a canvas. Right? I think the problem that your your logic right now is that you're approaching things rationally, and people don't start with art rationally. Uh, well, so I, I, I mean, yeah. I know some gallerists who started a gallery with a bunch of friends who together invest and then after two years everyone pulls out it's like this is not making money and they're like that's not what it's about yeah that's right like very it's very hard to make money with a gallery so i think it's very clear for an artist when they go into art it's like i might not make money but -hmm. it's funny when a, a gallerist which is basically a business person dealing with art is also just as crazy but they come they often come from a wealthy background but it probably in their family they're like the wild and crazy one and all the other ones are uh, having solid careers but I th- right, like, I, 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 I want to rewind no, a, no, little, a little bit yeah. that the fundamental problem for me what I ran into even having such a large audience with my websites it's really hard to ask for a small amount from a lot of people mm-hmm. and art just works better when you sell it in in uniques and, and not seeing like okay there's five thousand of these but they're cheap it, it's right so so all these platforms and even the, are based the, on the, the, the record industry doesn't even make money anymore on records so that model of like small units for small price that's kind of old yeah no no i i actually i agree with you even though as a pop artist i believe that art should reach the most number of people possible. yeah yeah so but my model is is available for free but uh, the, the collector price is high Mm-hmm. I mean, my price is not high compared to blue chip artists, but you, you you understand my point that for digital art to offer it for a price under a hundred dollars, it's just more trouble silly. than it's yeah. worth. But here's the thing: like, if I can just hammer this point home uh, like a little bit longer, I have prints in my home, like just paper prints that are like no, but those are physical. See, We're talking about things that can I know, be transmitted. But I just want to talk about how like the frame comes into this because we are talking about framing and digital frames. I would routinely, I've spent upwards of a thousand or two thousand dollars on a frame, on having works framed, right? Just static works. And then these devices come in at this price point of 500, less than, all of them are less than a thousand dollars. And they offer an inferior digital art experience for less than it costs to frame uh, a traditional. Uh, work and unless you're buying frames at IKEA or something, and no, no one who really cares about their work is doing that, right? They're, you're 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 getting your work framed so that well, it's IKEA. It's funny that you mentioned it. One of my collectors collects a lot of digital art, and he's friends with a lot of. So he's very yeah. one of us. And he saw electric objects. And he said, "No, it looks too IKEA." <laughs> you know, it just feels like oh, this is something that everybody has. It feels and, cheap. Yeah. yeah. Uh. So I was, I, I, I really liked you know this conversation I had with these framed people, and then I was looking at the frames themselves though, and the work on them, and the a the frame rate was super low, like on the works. Like yeah, because they have to make something that's a slim computer embedded in a and yeah. a graphics card, and there's heating problems, and they're not at the scale of of Microsoft or Apple, so they have to. To build hardware, it's really complicated. 
Yeah, so I mean, so it didn't look good, and then the color on the screens wasn't that great, and it was like there was reflection, like they're glossy, yeah. and then even just the wood, they had this wood finishing around the side. It looked like cheap veneer, you know. And it's just yeah, like yeah, I I think it's it's good with careers to have a sort of platonic ideal to work towards, and for me, for digital art, it's either on every device possible for free or mm-hmm. in a museum with a perfect environment and perfectly lit and a perfect projector and or a perfect LED wall. So either also, the, the, yeah, the extreme I, hi-fi or just the, <clears throat> the, yeah, you know what I mean. But yeah, I mean, I, I can't help but feel like, and I'm, this is going to burn me because like, I would love to be courted by these companies, but like, I'm going to say like, I can't help but think that it's people who don't really understand the market or the customer making something of inferior quality. You know, like when uh, you know Silicon Valley comes into a new industry and they think they have it right because they're the smartest people in the world, and then they just get it totally wrong, like Google Glass, you know, or something like that, where it's like they don't understand that, or like let the Apple Watch, which is you know by and large very successful, but in relationship with the entire wearable watch fashion industry, is a is a pathetic failure, right? No, because I disagree there. Yeah, well, I think like they tried to get it right with fashion, right? Or let's look at the Samsung Galaxy Gear that came out before that, right? Like yeah. they're like, if we just put a like a phone on your wrist, yeah. But I mean, all these companies can try buy. stuff. Yeah, they can try. It's true, and that's really exciting that there are like six or seven digital art. Frame yeah, companies. so that was maybe my sentiment with all the digital art companies. Like, at least they're mm-hmm. trying. So I, I was, even if I knew it's probably not going to work, I thought, well, it's good to try it. No, and I think you're you're right there, and that you know it's in it's there's no reason there's no good business reason for them to do this. So it must be for you know in some ways for the artist because I can't see for the life of me where the business no where the profit comes. But from. I mean, I've spoken to investors who are not super money driven people, but the, their talent is mm-hmm. investment, and then they they want to put investments towards things that bring people joy. That's kind of what they say, or make the world a better place. Yeah, which is a weird contradiction when you're an investor it's like i want to want to make the world a better place and have a handsome profit but this is really interesting because <clears throat> we skipped over it a couple of weeks ago and apple released this like uh new like echo competitor called the um home pod or whatever it's called uh yeah did i get it right why does that yeah. sound wrong <laughs> it's it's yeah it's basically a smart speaker it does, yeah it does sound wrong though. it's but a music oriented smart speaker but what's interesting about it is that they, the way they're differentiating that product is based on sound quality. Right? Yeah. So I just want to put that in perspective of what we've been talking about because we've been talking about how like there's all these like kind of shitty art frames, and then in the same the same thing is true if you look at the audio quality of Google Home, and that's Google's uh, smart speaker and Amazon's Echo. Uh, and Alexa Assistant, <clears throat> those have really tinny, shitty yeah. sound. And then Apple, but you like, can plug them into your regular stereo, right? Yeah, but Apple's saying like it, it's interesting because Sonos uses the same advertising. It's like don't compromise on quality, right? So I mean, I I, I think it's interesting because at the very least, a comp- a large company is saying for for things that you listen to, don't compromise on quality. It would be interesting to, and I think it will happen at some point as like technology is just not quite there yet. That eventually, when you have like just really fast processing, beautiful display, like over uh, six hundred DPI, and <clears throat> and and the aesthetic and a thin aesthetic without cables, you know, with yeah, wireless power. I, I think it's one of those things where you think if only it gets a little better. But I think the fundament. I was in uh, Jan Robert Leegte, the Dutch net artist. He lives. Yeah, great on, guy. He lives on a boat, a houseboat, 
He's and such a charming person. He's the nicest man I've ever met. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was that. Yeah. Okay. No, no, you're definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But uh, we were on his boat and just chatting about digital art and art in general. And he's like, yeah, a lot of collectors are hesitant buying digital art and it's, it's challenging and uh, they always just want to buy paintings. And then I was like, look around, John. How many digital artworks are hanging on your wall? He's like, yeah, that's true. I know, that's what I and say. And it was well. mostly drawings. And so maybe we should also admit that there's something really nice about everything in the world being moving and fast and that art is static on your wall. That, yeah, I think that, that, is, that is an important admission. However, yeah, it's funny because... So I, for me, a digital art works in the museum context. It works very well. But mm-hmm. in the domestic context, for some freaks, but in general... No, but you're, you're pointing at something important, which is the home is a place for calm. Like, I, I just finally got home and I was like, I, after six weeks, and I felt so calm. Because <laughs> you were surrounded home. by technology for six weeks. It's like, yeah, exactly. Oh, do we have the like, connector for this? Where do, uh, this LED wall? Oh, it's too bright. Can we fix it? Oh, where's the... Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. yeah, and actually we built an LED wall. And behind the LED wall, it was funny. So uh, in Frankfurt, we, we had this big LED wall anyone could plug into. That was like one of the artworks that I created, which was access to a huge LED wall, which I, you know... It's so exciting. You're a digital artist. You can have your work up on this huge LED wall. It's actually kind of hard to convince some people to put their stuff up. But then behind it, actually, we built like a little apartment, which was just like a white cocoon that you could sleep in. <laughs> and I think that was like way more popular than the LED wall. Oh, wow. It was like getting away from the festival ended up being yeah. something. And I think you. it's always in waves, huh? like for a while. Yeah. And then everything's kind of organic, home, wood. And then you're like, oh, I want to see the future. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because there's a cliche that comes up that we should talk about, like a science fiction kind of trope. Um, and, the, you know, whenever you're in conversation with a bunch of people that, I don't know, nerds, uh, basically they'll say, like, imagine in the future you walk into your house and the walls are made of screens. <laughs> it's like, and, you know, every surface is a screen. Yeah, and it's, it's uh, it, yeah, I don't know. Like, who knows where it goes? If there's some kind of... Right now, screens emit light, but if they're reflective, like uh, e-readers, but full color and full frame rate. Well, what I was gonna say is like the, whenever they they demonstrate the you know the next narrative after that is like yeah I'd li- it's like living in a holodeck. And whenever they show that in science fiction, it's always like the first thing people put up is like a natural landscape. Yeah, like a like, I'm in a <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, that's like, the funniest thing about technology when you like. There's there's a little story of, about capitalism um, that uh, someone goes to a fisherman in a small town and he's like, oh you're you're fishing that's great but you should you should get another boat and hire someone so you can catch more fish and then you can start an enterprise and then you can save up and then and then finally at the end when you retire you can fish on a little boat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Have you told this story before? Yeah, I, like I did. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. one of your classics. We're running um, out of material. No, I'm not running it. No, <laughs> we're not running out of material. But I do want to say, like, uh, if come, we come back to that electric objects selling to Giphy thing, I think there's something interesting there as well, which is that just looking at Giphy, if Giphy is now the parent company to this digital frame company, it's interesting to think about what art on the internet or digital art really is. Yeah, and I, think, I think we should explain this a little bit to the audience. Okay. So Electric Objects was both a hardware and a software a service. 
there was a subscription service there was uh, they, they had small um, stipends for artists to make work for the service so it was like a Spotify $500. and a player it was, it was $500 we should just say how much yeah. it was so it was a Spotify and a, and a music player all together kind of and, and so it wasn't working and the hardware was too expensive to develop so they sold the companies but they only sold the software side and they gave up on hardware and they sold the software to Giphy which is a animated GIF search engine am I saying that right or are they more than that yeah no no and Giphy is I, yeah Giphy is run by is it Alex uh, what's his full name I've met him uh, but I can't remember his full name uh, Alex Chung uh, is the founder and CEO yeah, yeah, yeah. of Giphy um, but what's and Giphy kind of started as a crazy idea as well, just like electric uh, objects. But what I think is interesting about it is that if you visit Giphy, which is I think the internet's most popular GIF repository now, G I P P H Y dot com. Yeah, and Giphy's integrated into like your Apple keyboard, right? Yeah, yeah, it's big. Uh, but, yeah. You know what? What I think is really interesting about it, though, if in consideration with what we're talking about, is that. On the internet, the digital art has the greatest value, as we've discussed previously, yeah, when, and, distri- and when, when distributed. That's like, exactly my point. Like As soon as you start restricting the distribution, you lose the, the, what's best about it. Right. So Giphy ha- owning like this, because Giphy also commissions artists. I'm not sure if people are familiar, but Giphy like, also supports artists. But then they just make these art- artists' work available for free as gifts that you can share with friends. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting to consider that model versus this constrained subscription model. So, like, this, this, these screen-based companies tried to do half of it, right? Like, so, like, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll broaden the market just enough so that maybe there's, yeah, like... Yeah, to now- me, the, the, the screen companies should just do hardware. They're like, okay, we have the best screen with an integrated computer. It can play any media file, and it can play web exactly. pages. Yeah. And, and we're not going to bother what you show on it, and it's open. It can cache any web page and show it offline. It's plug and play, it's simple. It that is one model, and the other model. I have one word for you. Can you guess what the other strategy is? <laughs> Get free. Screensavers. Screensaver. Screensaver. Okay, okay. But it's a screensaver that is modular with a web panel, and then you just make a playlist, and whenever your computer is yeah. turned off, it'll just show any content you want. Um, yeah, it's wonderful. We should start a screensaver company. <laughs> Yeah. The race is on. But you know who did that? The person we have, we mentioned in every single episode, Constant Dollar. No, uh, I'm talking about I'm talking about a different kind of screensaver. But, but with oh, with the his media du- player, yeah, with his media player, the Dell Tech media player, which we're not I'm not advertising for right now officially. Uh, it's it, not available he, right now. It's not, it's not available. Though I did see it Sold in one out. of the. Re- I saw it in a roundup when I, I was looking around at like other screen uh, companies. It was included in a roundup. It's like electric objects, uh, screen, you know, frame, da da da. And I was like, dull tech media player. So, <laughs> but but I just want to say that Constant had this idea that the dull tech media player was really about getting his artwork into the screensaver of all of these media players yeah. placed in museums all over the world. Yeah. So whenever you don't have a file on on it and you plug it in, it'll play his default screensaver. Yeah, his artwork, and so I think it's he's interesting. He's kind of hijacking like, a lot of screens when they're not used. Yeah, and I love the idea of like an artist owning the platform, right? Um, yeah. But, but the, like the good thing about his play is that it's not a restricted platform. You can, you don't yeah, have exactly. to go through his ecosystem to play a file. 
Yeah, so I think if these companies had just made a beautiful screen that artists could use to show yeah. their work and gallerists could buy to demonstrate the, the their I th- artists. I work. think the problem is they look at things like Apple TV and they're like, well, they're restricting the content and it's working for them. But mm-hmm. that's a different scale. You can't make a media art player, which already the maximum audience is 2,000 people, and then say, <laughs> exactly. like, we're only going to use 10% of the 2,000 people, so it's going to be 20 people. Or yeah, so yeah. I'm wondering where this idea, this perverted idea, got into these terrible business people's but, heads. Like, how yeah. did this happen? How so, did we, but it, both, is, both the, the pure software approach or the pure hardware approach should be open because the art market is just too small for a closed platform. That's right. It, I mean, I think it's we, so small. I think it, that's not even an idealistic anti-capitalist open source idea. It's just a market idea. Like the art market is really small. So then to say we're going to only serve ten percent of that. Well, and as you said earlier, though, you have to like constrain it and make it a unique experience for one artwork. <laughs> that's one side of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah and that's very expensive. well. There's 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 tons of artists who. We'll make a work like Namjoon Pike, that model of media art where you make a sculptural media work that is tied to a physical machine and is very specific. That's a a valid work, but that's not uh, what these screens are trying to do. No, they're somewhere in the middle. And I think it's like Apple once said with the... um Remember when they came out with? Uh, I want to. I want to apologize for my arithmetic. I said ten percent of two thousand, and then I said twenty. So please understand, I'm not. Sorry, I didn't even hear that. But okay, well, I know <laughs> a lot of people cringe when they listen to our podcast because we always because we're big mistakes. We're, we're so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, actually, I just met a bunch of our audience, and they're super smart. And I'm like, you should be on the show. You I know be they're better this. than us. Yeah. They are, they are, they are. But remember when Steve Jobs is up on stage and he's like... Uh, Who's Steve you know, Jobs? Talk, uh, you know, Steve Jobs from Apple. <laughs> no, never heard of him. <laughs> uh, you remember that guy. Uh, and they were talking about the keyboards on... Like when they were launching the iPhone, I think it was, where they were talking about keyboards on phones, right? Oh, wait a second. Am I thinking of another situation? The on-screen yeah. virtual keyboard. Well, they were saying like... Uh, there are compromises in you know what actually I'm thinking of he he did this also for like um, not Chromebooks but what was the 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 tiny little laptops before MacBook Air no no remember those like tiny little laptops that were in between netbooks yeah netbooks yeah. and he was like no one wants a netbook because you're compromising on too many vectors like yeah. they do want that you do want the small form factor but you want it you know you, but you're buying a, a this this lap mini laptop so you can type but the keyboard's like way too small and constrained and so it's like you don't do that right you don't do the other thing quite right we have and an so expression like, in dutch you say uh, it's it's nor meat nor fish it's just it's kind of nothing yeah so what you end up with is like yeah, nothing for nobody, right? Yeah. And I think that that's what a lot of these digital screens are. This is my really harsh critique. Yeah, I, I would advise any digital artist to just make their work available for free online and then projects happen and you monetize those projects. But the the digital part to then try to monetize it in an edition of a thousand, it just doesn't work. Like who who wants to own a work that is in an edition of a thousand? Yeah, and I think we're just starting to see these uh, companies fall, but I would assume that all of the digital art frame makers will be gone within two years. That would be Together with VR. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? We saw that startup that was uh, for art in VR and with Abramovich and Koons. And, uh, yeah, I met someone. I was on a panel last weekend, and I, I met some people that were involved with that, too. And... Uh, which was called... What is it called? I always forget the name, which is terrible. It's like... Uh, 
Hang on. <laughs> you know, do you remember what it's called? Uh, which oh that VR? Co- no, I'm not sure. We'll put it in the show notes. No, no, no. I'm just gonna say it because yeah, it's a it's a new VR platform. It's called. We know because our, our listeners deserve to hear this with me do a Google search on air. Um, yeah. It's called Acute Art. That's why oh, I always, yeah. for, I, yeah, I yeah, always yeah. forget because it sounds like, because art is in there, I guess, so you don't mistake it mm-hmm. for not an artistic platform. Uh, yeah. But it, again, it's a bad idea. It's put a, what I call put a VR on it, like like put a bird on it from uh, Portlandia. But <clears throat> all, you know, anytime a new technology comes along, along, the worst thing you can do is just like, apply it to the existing art forms. And it's Marshall McLuhan but, talked about but this. If we look at now at, at the perspective, not of the client of a, a service, but of the perspective from artists. So a lot of artists are making things online and have a hard time making enough to be full-time artists. Mm-hmm. And so you would think the the initiative, that's why I, at, at first I was like, okay, let's try this. Maybe this model will work. Uh, who knows? Yeah. So if you want to help people because digital art is really art for the people it's it's this low entry it, everybody already has a laptop so you can make something for your laptop you share it online and then you want to build an economy around it so you can have more time making art and so mm-hmm. how the gallery model is kind of works for some people but for a lot of people it just doesn't make sense no yeah you're right for certainly for a lot of people who make experimental work <clears throat> and it's not even and it's not quite saleable I mean, let, don't get me wrong. Like, I think all these digital frame companies, as I've said a couple times already, have like ki- their kindness to a certain extent in their heart. But I think the really kind thing to do would be to, you know, either help promote and distribute these artists more widely, like you said, or help them make a lot more money for a narrower audience. Yeah, but even then, like, if someone pays you five hundred dollars for an animated GIF and the other option is zero, then it's still better than nothing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I, I think it, then you're right. Like the Giphy model of sharing it on the Apple keyboard and the whole world can see it. That's better than like yeah, it's going to be available to, on these uh, 95 media players. Because I was talking to a friend who used one of these platforms, and they gave him five hundred dollars for his commission to commission his work. And then he was talking to a collector, and he was like trying to sell a more expensive work, like a five thousand dollar work or something. And the collector's like, why would I buy that when I could get the yeah. same work on this uh, digital art platform for five hundred bucks or for, that, le- that for was twenty dollars a month. Yeah, that was my my problem. Uh, I, I had a few works up on the um, Sedition. I thought, okay, let's try it. But the problem is you're not gonna give your best work to that platform. So mm-hmm. then you put sketches and then the platform's not gonna be great because it just has the handoffs or the B sides and yeah, so the guy I was talking to at Framed, he said that like the best thing you can do, and I agree with him, is make a new work of art that's specifically for that context. Yeah, I don't um, agree there. That's the same thing. Art fairs do this thing where they will have a cheaper booth for young artists who make a work that responds <laughs> to the context of an art fair. And it's like, what's next? Walmart is going to ask people to make Walmart-specific work? <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I mean, you would be into that. You, you would be the the ultimate Walmart. That greeter. sounds genius, like genius. <laughs> hey, I'm greeting you, but it's an artwork. <laughs> That's right. I just did that. It's like I'm an old guy. I'll be doing that. In my 60s. I'll, Welcome I'll to the art gre- experience. How's your I'll day? The, yeah, in, I think I'm, when I get into my 60s and 70s, I'll just be a, a greeter at the Whitney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bring a little Walmart jacket. Yeah. 
<laughs> Where are you from? Oh, sorry, I don't want to offend you. Never mind. <laughs> anyway, uh, that yeah. So I don't know if there's much more to talk about here, except that I do think it's very interesting uh, because it's the mixture of tech, business, and art. That's why I wanted to talk about it. Yeah. And I really and I really feel like it's just not it's not obeying the fundamental principles of business, which is like identify your customer and identify a problem you know that they have a need that they have and then build a solution that actually works to resolve that but i, I don't i, I don't yeah. see who the customer is and i don't see what the problem I, is from what i see is that a lot of projects now are cross media so a lot of artists will do things on social media and that's almost their sketchbook they will put little bits out mm-hmm. and it will start the narrative and it will start your introduction to their world but then there's gallery shows or books or movies that come out of that and those just help each other. So you, you make things available on the network for free, and then later there's a, a bigger a sort of monolith structure work that exists somewhere else. It, like Oliver Larrick makes these works where he scans sculptures, and he makes those available for free online, mm-hmm. the 3D models. But he makes physical works that only he can make because he is fully immersed in the process and... Uh, knows all the materials and has the studio and etc so those two things complement each other and yeah I, th- I think that's the most that seems to be what works for a lot of people to make digital processes that then generate objects but that's why your focus should be just on making amazing work because what we're all selling is concert t-shirts with a autograph yeah, I don't agree with that, but uh, <laughs> agree to disagree. Yeah. I mean, ideally, the, 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 uh, in the case of music even, all the musicians are basically giving their work away for free on YouTube. Mm-hmm. You can watch all the hit songs for free. Mm-hmm. They get a little bit of money through advertising revenue, but they get way more money from the concerts, which you could argue the concert yeah, yeah. is the realist experience of the music, the most intense one and the... Well, I was reading yesterday that Jay-Z is leaving Tidal because uh, he wasn't paid. <laughs> so no, like, I thought Kanye oh, no, wasn't paid. Oh, no, no, it's Kanye that's yeah, yeah reported leaving. Yeah, because company owes him money, which I think, again, it's like you could replace that with, uh, I don't know, like uh, digital artist is leaving uh, electric objects or frame because the company owes them money kind of thing. Well, let's, um, not, let's not accuse them of something they didn't do. No, of course, but I'm just saying like, it, it, like in terms of the the economic model, Kanye West is not happy with Tidal. I mean, neither was Taylor Swift happy with Spotify. And yeah. the artists are not happy yeah, with so the, the, the problem with platforms. Selling transmittable artifacts or, or cultural units. Yeah, like the, the bottom line is that the artists if if anyone's gonna own these platforms, first of all, for them to be successful, they have to it has the artists have to be almost like part owners because seeming or someone who knows something about the market that they're yeah. a, there's two and there's two sides to this market right there's the artist who's trying to present their work and then there's the collector who wants it who wants it presented right at least in, include those two people in the conversation somehow and then there's the, the historically disney uh, at the beginning of making animated shorts back then they would always show an animated short before a feature film so you would see a six minute cartoon nobody made f- feature length animated cartoons that was disney did the first one but before and people thought they were crazy my point is when they started making animated shorts before feature films they would break even on those because they were so expensive to draw Mm. and they would make money on physical merchandise they would make money on posters and uh, puppets and uh, stuffed animals and uh, that kind of stuff so 
think for a long time moving images and and a world outside of it has been hand in hand yeah i mean i've always felt like um as a because i you know i come from this i I say fluxus origin and the idea was like to make art available as an experience to everyone uh but then that became part of what the digital art ethos was in the yeah. 1970s was about it was about it's perverted to constrain information when information you know wants to or yeah. deserves and to the, be free the, the other side is uh, my point that I made earlier about uh, uh, a Basquiat exhibition at Gagosian which in mm-hmm. terms of distribution was very restricted but because of the energy and the work and the, the youthful energy it attracted people from all over and had a much more diverse audience than you would see at a media festival. Mm-hmm. Even though yeah, everyone really there is doing open source stuff and making the source code available, and it's still just nerds. I mean, yeah, that said, I, I've been to some really amazing digital art uh, festivals where there are like there's a broader group of people from you know a very wide discipline, and, and a lot of stuff in New York you'll get like designers and artists and fashion people and yada 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 like different communities mingling mm-hmm. around the digital art um kind of scene and it's and it, and, it, and it's a positive you know and, and when you include maker communities it's people who are like yeah it's, it's very grassroots and, the, the whole mm-hmm. attitude around it may be similar to uh zine I mean, culture I, or yeah. self-publishing in the best cases it's actually a culture that i love i consider it my my culture and it can be inclusive too you know when uh th- those communities work not to exclude others but to include them and yeah um yeah but whenever anyway. you get into a very niche interest you'll exclude people so if you're really into uh well not necessarily going deep think, in, yeah. in technology and people can't follow oh, i see i see what you're saying yeah i mean it's funny too because it, this in uh, by the way the festival is at in germany was called node you know part of our mandate was to try and make it actually a more inclusive festival because it's like it's a festival that was made very specifically around a piece of software and, and particularly nerdy piece of software yeah. so you know it cl- but this it, is it, another topic for another episode another day yeah, the, there's true, there's true. really great benefits to elitism as well when you can really decide okay i'm not gonna listen to anybody i'm gonna master this instrument that nobody cares about anymore some some instrument from the middle ages and there's very few people that are interested and i know that but this is what i want to pursue and yeah i don't not everything has to be mass culture no that, no that's right and i'm not arguing for mass culture i'm arguing for like lim- no limits on distribution yeah uh, availability yeah. availability yeah yeah and, but I could and, be... and i guess that's where these platforms fail that there's too many they're making a walled garden, but there's there's not enough. Uh, there's just no one to watch. No there's one, no, no, no one plants wants... in the garden. No visitors. <laughs> no visitors. <laughs> it's a, it's a little desert. <laughs> what they've recreated, I think. <laughs> That's in the worst funny. Case. The, the walled garden versus the walled desert. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah. But what what they've recreated in the worst cases is is the gallery system at its worst when it's like a gallery no one goes to. It reminds me, there was a news, uh, it's a classic interruption, but there was a news item (laughs) in the Netherlands that there's a problem that uh, most of the prisons are empty now because the crime is decreasing. Mm -hmm. And uh, the employees are like, well, what's our job then? And uh, we're going to... But all the prisons in the, uh, the Netherlands are at half capacity. So that kind of is a nice visual when you think about digital art frames. Mm, those are Dutch people problems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are we going to do with all these prisons? Let's turn them into galleries. <laughs> yeah, they probably will. Yeah. 
All right, I don't know if I have much more to say here, and I've been really cruel, and I want to just apologize if anyone's listened this long. Uh, I've been cruel because I've been trying to figure it out myself, I think. Well, there's something about tough love and being getting real. Is like, guys, we have to admit this is not working and that open works better. Yeah, or like, you know, the, maybe just make a beautiful frame that I can, you know, because I go Yeah, but and the I beautiful si- frame should be usable with any file type, and you, you shouldn't have to go exactly. through an approval process to submit the work because I've been approached like hey do you want to use this screen in an exhibition I'm like sure but then you have to put your work on our platform well my work is already out on the open internet so why would I put it on your platform well there's no Mm -hmm. other way to upload it to the, the screen yeah and I think like you know I give money to Samsung and LG every time I have an exhibition with screens like I go out and I pay these electronic companies money for a screen that I would rather and that I compromise on aesthetically each time like I'm like oh there was just no logo you yeah, when the, when you want the no logo screen, it's five times more. It's the professional. Yeah, screen. and you and you can you can of course get it, but again from the electronics manufacturer, why not just like have a brand that's like you know an art you know art friendly. The the problem with art hardware is also that as soon as something uh, is available to everybody, then you have to have the next thing because otherwise it looks like. So mm-hmm. I've heard this a lot from art spaces. They'll have they'll get HD projectors and then everybody's like, oh, I want 4K. And then they'll get mm. 4K and they're like, oh, I want more lumens. So th- that's <laughs> right. a really hard thing to develop hardware for such a small niche. Yeah, maybe and then just you're, stay you're always it. behind. Yeah. It's weird though because in regular analog frames, they've had a lock, like these framing companies have existed for you know decades if not hundreds of years. And the standards have gotten a little bit better like very slowly. Yeah, that's a they, different world. Huh? If you, but, it's even the older it is, the better it is, because you're like this has lasted for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. This this the, this type of frame, we've been making frames for four hundred years. But it reminds me of like in other industries, like in skateboard and surfboard design. I'm gonna go to surfboards because like I grew up being a, a surfer, and like the amount of there were custom boards and then there were mass manufacturer boards. The custom boards were always more expensive, but there was this hand touch, like they were beautifully made and like attention to detail was like fundamental to these. Do you ever um, feel like giving up computer life and going to surf life? (laughs) Yeah, all the time. (laughs) I think about it every day. (laughs) No more notifications and just the waves. I can see the two of us retiring on a beach uh, and surfing every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'd have a new podcast, like a surfing with (laughs) it it, would be called sitting by the campfire (laughs) (laughs) yeah I I like it anyway uh, maybe that's all we have for today yeah I think uh, we can talk forever but we'll just talk next week yeah thanks uh, to everyone who waited a little longer are we going to put this out this week or next week or are we just going to sit on it Um, no let's put it out now and we do another one uh, okay so there was only a slight delay this week so uh, people asked for like a double length episode. I met so many people uh, when I was in Frankfurt that uh, that loved the podcast. And yeah, really... that's really awesome. And now I'll, I'll find. I always ask them how they heard about us. It's always through you. So now I, I know that uh, <laughs> that uh, you're the best channel because you have. I think you have a, a much larger base of fans. But also there were a lot of Dutch people at this festival, oh, and they're like okay. huge Raphael Rosendahl fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that, one the... that, that's really my core crowd. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I've I traveled the whole world, but there's a lot of love from the Netherlands. Yeah, I was on home turf or near a home turf. And what, but one of the nice things they said, which was like, I just want to say this for you because I think it's a nice thing. I was talking to this one uh, Dutch uh, artist, and he was like, 
you know, I agree with you, Jeremy, like, you know, the social thing and like how committed you are to, you know, doing the right thing. Da, da, da. But then like, I realized the art I want to make is like what Raphael is like, yeah, you're exhibiting the conflict I experience in my own brain. I just, I just love it because, uh, you know, it helps me come to understand. Uh, well, that's what a, what we, can, we can talk about that fundamentally, but uh, art is a surplus effort it's it's not a core ec- economic effort so. well just it reminded me that it's important that yeah. we continue to disagree <laughs> yeah the other thing I, I thought was funny is in japan of course nobody listens to a podcast because a lot of people can do fine speaking english but to listen to something without subtitles for an hour is a lot mm. to ask so i was thinking that's kind of a, a tragic thing of your art practice that it's so based on the english language when you want to be inclusive so I mean, I could see a Japanese doing a Japanese. Um, Would you learn overdub- Japanese for it? Overdub, or, I could learn it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that'd be awesome. <laughs> but then it would be pretty bad. I would. It would be like broken. like a Japanese game show. You would have to compete with the Japanese game shows because they, they also have the AR visuals. But it's also tragic for you because I've sucked you into this uh, English language podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, I mean it, it's a give and take. Yeah. So you're going to take us to Tokyo for some for this week's field recording, right? Yeah, this, I, I recorded a whole bunch of things in Japan, and then uh, we were staying in Akihabara, which is the the Geek Technology District. That's where our hotel was. So I walked around with the phone and listening to things and. There's tons of interesting things, but there's this one thing called pachinko, which is a Japanese form of slot machines. It's it's little balls falling down over pins on a on a flat surface. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I had one growing up. I had a pachinko machine in my house. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you can win stuff, and there's a whole law around it because there's a lot of restrictions on gambling. So you get a coupon, and then you get a teddy bear, and then you go across the street, and then you can trade the teddy bear for money. Why so teddy bears? Why it, it's, it just has to be anything that's not money because you can't just win money. So you have to, you win these things that look like something you would win at a carnival, mm, okay. but you can trade those things for money. Uh, like later. the teddy bear is worth like $1,000. It's a loop around the, the restrictions. Hmm. Um, but the interesting thing is that the Pachinko Hall is like, if, to me, if, if hell existed, it would be that. So it, <laughs> it's completely filled with cigarette smoke. Everybody's sitting. Nobody talks to each other. And the, your and your avatar icon has been for a decade and no smoking. Yeah, symbols, so. I, I deeply hate smoking. And <laughs> and everybody there is completely in their own zone. That's the whole point. So the machines make these loud beeping noises, but they also have speakers on the ceilings that do this bass noise level that just shuts out any possibility of conversation. It's so it, what you're hearing this recording, it's not that my recorder was uh, in, in not capable of recording it and then you hear distortion. That's actual the sound in that room. So mm. so I, when I heard this, yeah, I was, uh, I was saying, I was thinking this is the opposite of what our field recordings are normally, which mm-hmm. is quite relaxing. Yeah. This is like a wall of no, a pure noise. Yeah, but people go into these rooms to... It's escapism, but the opposite of a waterfall. It's just complete chaos. It's a waterfall of noise. Maybe there's something beautiful and calming in that. I don't yeah. know. We'll leave it to our listeners to find out. Okay. Thank you for listening, and uh, let's listen to some pachinko noise. Thanks again. Get in touch. Send us your field recording. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.